Good morning, City Life. Good morning, City Lifers. Welcome. Welcome to church. Visitors, I, I forgot visitors. Welcome. Welcome to church. Today is Palm Sunday, and so before I say anything else, happy Palm Sunday. Jesus is our King. And uh, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Pedro Reese. I'm the lead pastor here at City Life. It is my honor, as always, to be bringing us the word for us today. And so, like I said, happy Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday, the Sunday before Easter Sunday, is the day where the global church, every year since Jesus resurrected from the, from the grave, has said, wow, like, Jesus is King. And the whole purpose of today, every Sunday, but today especially, explicitly, is for us to say publicly, demonstratively, Jesus Christ is King. Jesus of Nazareth is the King of everything. He's our King. He's the King. King Jesus is who we wait to come back. It is, this is all about Sunday. And so this, this Sunday, like the global church, the universal church, the ecumenical church, we stand together and say, Jesus is our King. And on one day before He faced the cross, He was publicly worshipped for who He rightfully is, the King. And so what does that mean for you and for me? Jesus is the King of everything. And so today we are starting off this discussion, like this, I'm um, just starting off my preaching, uh, talking about something that seems very logical to talk about, uh, Jimmy Garoppolo. And so if you don't know who Jimmy Garoppolo is, I don't blame you. Our church actually, surprisingly enough, is not like a very big sporting church. But Jimmy Garoppolo, as of this moment right now, there's some like uncertainty about his future. But at this moment right now, Jimmy Garoppolo is the starting quarterback of the San Francisco 49ers. He plays in the NFL. And uh, Jimmy G, his nickname is Jimmy G. I'll probably just call him Jimmy G. He's, to me, one of the most interesting athletes in that there's like this story around him that does not go away. Like there's this narrative that surrounds him. Jimmy G is loved by his teammates. Like it's really clear that he, like every locker room he's in, people love him and gravitate towards him. That's important. He's successful. He's a winner. He is not a stat stuffer is what they call it. He's like not a statistical monster. His numbers are never in his career, are never like, wow, like he's, he's like one of the best of all time. But everywhere he goes, he wins. And he's never won the Super Bowl. But everywhere he goes, he wins. Uh, he's been to one Super Bowl, I believe, and he's played in multiple conference championship games. But every year when they lose, because there's only one winner, right? Every year there's only one person, and unfortunately that person always seems to be Tom Brady. But every like, year when he loses in the playoffs or loses before the playoffs or gets hurt, there's this one question that surrounds him. People clamor to go on TV, radio, talk show hosts, like talk about this for days and days and days. And it's like, is Jimmy Garoppolo the real deal? Every year there's like this conversation, but it's unique around him for a specific reason. And the reason why we talk about him, why I'm talking about him today on Palm Sunday. Like the real deal, is he the real deal? And there are people who go on TV every year and discuss this one thing writers sports writers professionals people who write 
for a living. Every year, multiple people write articles when he loses in the playoffs that Jimmy Garoppolo is where he is. He's, he's like good enough. He's a good NFL quarterback, but he like maybe he's not great. And the question that they, are, they bring up every year is like, is he where he is today because he is incredibly handsome? And so right now, if you like, for those of us who don't know who is, you can't pause the sermon. It's on live right now on YouTube. You can pause it, but right now you can't pause it. Go at, go afterwards. I give you permission after the sermon and Google uh, Jimmy Garoppolo handsome. And yes, that is something that I did because in person I'm going to show a couple pictures of him. But like, is he where he is today? Is he ha- does he have these opportunities that other quarterbacks who just never win the big game don't have because he looks like an NFL quarterback? This guy is he's six two. He's two twenty five. He's built, he's strong, he's a model. It's like, does he get these opportunities because he looks like he is a Super Bowl winning quarterback, even though he's never been able to do it? One of my favorite sports personalities, Colin Coward, every year writes an article about how he has, he calls it, he has quarterback face. He looks the part, and so he gets opportunities other people perhaps don't. Like is, the question remains every year, is Jimmy G the real deal or does he look the part? And that's where we're starting our Palm Sunday sermon. Like we're not, okay, we're done talking about Jimmy G. And like questions still arise. Like we, we're here and those of us who are believers believe this, but like people who don't know Christ, he has like, what is it about Jesus? Why is there this whole religion around this one person? Like, what makes Jesus the king? What makes him the real deal? Why do Christians follow this person? Why does a man who lived 2,000 years ago have anything to do with me right now in 2022? Like, why? Why do people think that he's the real deal? And this day on Palm Sunday, more than any other Sunday, we explicitly come to say, you know, to the whole, to anyone who will listen to the whole world, that Jesus Christ is King. Jesus of Nazareth is King of everything. And you know what? He should be, and He is the better King. Jesus didn't just look the part. He was what all of this is built on. He is what all of this is built on. That all of God's story led up to him, was talking about him, and since we wait for our king to come back. One of the four pillars of our denomination, the Christian and Missionary Alliance, is that Jesus is the coming king and we wait for our king to come back. And so, like, let's talk today. All the whole point of today is that Jesus is the king that we did not know to expect He's not the king that we would not, we would not have built him that way, but God knew that he was the king that we truly, desperately needed. And so on today, like, let's proclaim that Jesus Christ is king. We're going to read in Luke chapter 19. I figure we've been in Luke for a while now. Let's stay in there at least one more week. Uh, but before we do that, let me pray. Let me pray, inviting the Holy Spirit to be here with us. And so, Lord, I thank you for this day. And before I say anything else, like Jesus, I just want to proclaim that you are our king. You are the king of the world, the the king of peace, the prince of peace. Like, Lord, 
all of this, all of life is for you, is built by you and directed for you. And we praise you today for being our Lord, our King. Holy Spirit, I welcome you into the preaching of your word and the reading of your word and like the digesting of your words so that we are these people who like praise you as our king, as the authority in our life, as the one who governs all of what we do. Like, Lord, you are our king and teach us how to live that way. And so, Lord, I pray for us all as we listen to your word and like, Lord, just make what you want to make come alive in our hearts. We love you. We praise you. Uh, I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So let's read. We're going to be in Luke chapter 19, like I said. We're going to start in verse 28. This is what the uh, word of the Lord says. It says this. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you. Where you are entering, you will find a colt tied, on which no one has, yet, has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it, just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their, cloak, their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. This is the word of the Lord. Today is, again, Palm Sunday, the day where the church does what they did all those years ago, exclaim that Jesus Christ is King. And so today we have three, I pray, powerful points as to what this passage teaches us about our King Jesus. And so let's start off with our first point today, that Jesus is the prophesied King of Peace. In this section here, verses 28 to 34, like really shape this first point for us, that Jesus is our prophesied king and that this king would bring peace. Verses 28 to 34 shape this. In here, they're going towards the cross. They're going into Jerusalem. And Jesus knows that there's Old Testament prophecy about how the Messiah comes. But the magic isn't in that Jesus just knows what to do. But he's like knows what this doing is going to trigger what is behind this trigger that like Jesus is the one who can adequately like really bring this in. As they're going into Jerusalem, they stop. They, there's this town right outside to the east of Jerusalem. It's Bethany and Bethpage. 
And he's like, okay, you know what? Two of my disciples go and get a donkey and like a colt or donkey, a baby donkey who no one has ever sat on him and go and get him. And you know, if its owners say, what are you doing? Say, the Lord has need of it. And they, the two go and they find it just like Jesus had said. And they go start untying it. And they, the owner does, says, like, what are you doing? And he's like, the Lord has need of it. And okay. And then they like, get Jesus and put their cloaks on the colt, on the donkey, and then put Jesus on the, col- on the colt. And then the story begins. And this is like so important. This is so beautiful because like, this is just like one of the many prophecies about the coming king, about the Messiah that Jesus fulfills but the magic isn't like i just said isn't in just that jesus knows the script and is doing it but like what this is triggering what this is saying like and what like jesus actually brings to us you see about two 500 years before this actually happened the holy spirit came upon one of god's prophets zachariah and like inspired him to write the book of zachariah and the book of Zechariah isn't only about Jesus, right? But there's this section of it that is like, oh, like, of this glimpse of who the king would be and what he would bring. In Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 and 11, it says this, remember, this like future, forward-facing glimpse of the coming king of the Messiah. Like Zechariah, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he writes this. He says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. It's like, okay, like, uh, this is beautiful like the coming the king is coming and he's not coming on a war horse he's not coming on like this terror this path of terror he's coming on a donkey but like what is he bringing it's not about the script it's about like what this king coming on a donkey will bring inspired by the holy spirit zachariah continues he says i will cut off the chariot from ephraim and the war horse from jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the earth. As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Jesus is our coming king. He is the king of everything because he fulfilled the life that the Old Testament prophesied so many times. All of these future forward-facing glimpses of the Messiah and his character and who he was, but also what he would bring. And this king brings peace. Jesus is the better king. The the sermon for today is called Jesus the Better King because he's the better king whose kingdom brings peace to all nations. Ending war, ending struggle. It's like, like Jesus in this one person, in this one man, just fulfills all the requirements, especially of being the peace bringer. And he's this coming king who marches into Jerusalem, not on a war horse, like I said, not on this path of terror, not on force or coercion, but on a donkey. A donkey that was only ever used for peace talks in the ancient world. Like humble on a donkey, Not fighting evil with evil, but fighting it with love. 
building his kingdom on kindness and invitation and service and never force, never even forcing people to believe in him, but like demonstrating who he was. And even on this triumphal entry, telling us what he brings, love and peace, and his kingdom is built on those. Jesus is the better king because he brings eternal peace with God. And he doesn't do this through military conquest, cultural conquest. He doesn't do this by like forcing people into anything. He does this on love and humility. Jesus is the better king because when he calls you, he calls you into his love and his service and his sacrifice. God told this story in the Old Testament and like somehow it was also all about him and what he would bring. And so Jesus is the better king because he fulfills all of the Old Testament glimpses and he is the one who brings real peace. Jesus is the better king first because he was prophesied and he brings peace. Our second point for today is that Jesus is the real king because Jesus is the better Jehu. Read with me again verses 35 to 40. It says, And they brought it to Jesus, the, the donkey, the colt, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out, Jesus is the better Jehu. Jesus is the better king because he's better than Jehu and because he deserves all the praise. So if you don't know who Jehu is, he has, like, to me, such an interesting story. Such an interesting king in Israel's history. If, to, if you don't know about Jehu, go back in your Bible later on this week or later on today and go to 2 Kings around chapters 9, 9, 10, 11, talk about him. And this is Jehu's story. Fascinating. Uh, it was time Elisha heard from the Lord, and the Lord told him to send one of his uh, servants, yes, I almost said employees, send one of his servants to Jehu and anoint him as king, but do it in private and then get out of there. And that's exactly what happens. Elisha sends his servant, his servant goes, he pulls Jehu aside, Jehu is like a military leader, and he says, you're the king, and he anoints him with oil, and then he like zaps right on out of there. And then Jehu's like, uh, okay, what just happened? And he goes back with the other military leaders. And they're like, okay, like Jehu, what just happened? And then in 2 Kings chapter 9, 12 and 13, he's, this is him speaking to them. He says, thus, and so he spoke to me, saying, thus says the Lord, I anoint you king over Israel. And then this was their reaction. Then in haste, every man, uh, every man of them took his garment and put it under him to, on his bare steps, and they blew the trumpet and proclaimed, Jehu is king. Oh, do you see why Jehu comes into play here? Because Jehu got the Jesus treatment. Jehu and Jesus were the two people in Scripture who got this cloak treatment. 
where like people were so moved to honor this one person that they take they literally take off their outer garment and put it on the floor so that person doesn't have to step on the floor but they step on your clothing it's like this immense sign of respect and honor it's like wow like like praise you like I give you honor above my comfort, above shielding myself, above my dignity. Like, I will, like, take the clothes off my back before you even step on the ground. And it's like, oh, like, okay, why is this so important? Why is Jesus the better Jehu? Because uh, Jehu had a really difficult calling as king. Like, Jehu's story is, like, quite interesting. In the Old Testament, a king who had to, like, do a lot of things that to us is like, what, really? you got to do that? But yeah, God tells Jehu that he needed to kill Jezebel, that he needed to kill all of Ahab's descendants, and that he needed to kill all of the prophets of Baal and all of his followers. And he does this. And he's like rather successful at this. But then Kings does what the book of Kings always does. It rates the kings. It like says, good king, bad king. Did he love the Lord? Did he, was he good in history? Will he remember it as good? Or will he be remembered as a bad king? And the final grade comes out about Jehu in chapter 10. is like, oh, bad king. Bad king. You know why? Because God, he did what God told him to do, but he never put down the violence. Yeah, it's like, yeah, he accomplished the main tasks of what God had to do. But ver- chapter 10, verse 20 says, 29 says, But Jehu did not turn aside from the sins of Jeroboam, the sons of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. Two verses later, it says, But Jehu was not careful to walk with the Lord, the walk in the law of the Lord, the God of Israel, with all his heart. He did not turn from the sins of Jeroboam, which he made Israel to sin. It's like, okay, I have two people in Scripture get this cloak treatment. And one of them did what God told him to do, but then didn't turn from his sins, was not careful to walk in the way of the Lord and in his laws. And he caused Israel to sin. And then we look at Jesus, who was perfect and spotless, who was everything that we just finished preaching in our Open Table sermon series, the spotless lamb, the Passover lamb, perfect, loving, generous, never sinned, and never caused anyone else to sin. And so today it's like, okay, Jesus is the better Jehu because he was himself perfect and never made anyone sin and only points people towards righteousness and only does like, look at John and Google. Every time Jesus said, I only do what the Father is doing. I only say what the Father is saying. I've only said what the Lord has said to me. Like Jesus did not cause anyone to sin. He only ever points people towards righteousness and towards the Father and the Spirit. And so Jesus is the better Jehu. The final grade on Jesus is that he was spotless. He was perfect. He was sinless. That he never did wrong. That he came and he lived and he died and resurrected because he loves you. More on that in a second. And then like the one thing that in this section that to me is so fascinating, and honestly, I don't know if I've ever seen, I've definitely never appreciated before this year. In verse 37, it says, The whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. Like normally, we only really picture Jesus with the 12. But 
more often than not, he was around a multitude of his followers. Jesus had the 12 and they were his, like the people he most invested in, but there were always people around Jesus. That's how like an old, like a ancient world Jewish rabbi operated. There were always people around him. Jesus at one point sends the 72 people out to go and do ministry. So it's like there were always people around and like what caused these people, not even just the 12, but the whole multitude of his people to worship him, to call him king, to throw their cloaks off and put it on the ground saying like, Lord, I care more about you than I do of my own comfort right now, like of any, my own dignity. Like what caused it? And it was this, that they worshiped him. They praised him with a loud voice. They called him king because of all the mighty works that they had seen. Like they had witnessed him doing. These are eyewitness accounts of people who were with Jesus. And it caused them, we talked about this last week, the least likely people in all of the ancient world to worship a man as God like they did. Because they had seen what he does. And then, as typical, the Pharisees like, go to Jesus and say, Jesus, get them to stop. This is not right. And Jesus' response to them is like, hey, if they're not doing this, these stones would be doing this as well. And in this, like Jesus is marching into Jerusalem towards the east of the city. And right after this, he cries over Jerusalem. And then he goes to the temple to cleanse it. He's saying, you know what? If these people weren't here, the very stones that make the temple would worship me. This is all about me. That temple was built to worship me. Like I'm the king. And so Jesus is the better Jehu. Jesus is the real deal. Like Jesus is the real deal because he never caused anyone to sin. Because he was perfect and spotless. And it's always appropriate to worship him as our king. Like really quick contextually for us, whenever we're in life and we're presented with this opportunity to talk to someone about Jesus, but we're like, oh, like, how forceful do I be? How forward do I have to be? How bold do I be right now? It's like, and in all of our attacks and in honestly the moments where we're weak and we like shy away because we're afraid of what people think, let me just say something to us. It's never okay for us to not give Jesus the praise for being our king. In whatever tact that you take for yourself, in whatever tact that you feel the Holy Spirit has made you to practice or more conservatively or boldly or like whatever the moment says, like it is never okay for us to not acknowledge Jesus as our King. And so when someone asks you about Jesus in any way, like uphold the fact that He is your King. It is never appropriate for us to shy away from acknowledging who He really is, the Lord of our lives. And then the last point that we have for today might be the shortest, but it's not the least important, is that Jesus is our king because Jesus is the weeping king. Verse 41. The way our Bibles break it down, it's not even included, but like, to me, it's, it's part of the scene. Verse 41 says, And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. That goes on to talk about why, what he was doing. Like he's crying over the destruction of Jerusalem that would happen in about 70 years, crying over like the people who don't believe in him, crying for like what we talked about in our last sermon series, that there will be people who don't go to his marriage, who don't go to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Like he's like, oh, all that. he's just like weeping. But Jesus is the right king. He's the better king because he weeps. 
because God himself came and put on all of our humanity, right? God didn't just create all of our emotions. He didn't create all of this. Like he put it all on himself and he comes and the example of our king is that he cries because he cares. Jesus is the better king because he cares. He doesn't even have to get more like complicated than that. Jesus cares. He loves you. He loves me. He loves creation. He loves humanity. And he like wasn't okay with not coming himself to come and show us that he is the king. That like right after this, this is what happens like before Jesus dies. He knows that his cross dying on a tree is in front of him in just a couple of days. And what does he do when he sees Jerusalem? He cries because he cares, because he loves. Because he was on a mission to come after all of us and bring us back into his house. So Jesus is the better king, not just because the Old Testament points to him, not because it makes sense, like, logically, not because this whole story points to like, all that is true, but Jesus is also the better king because he perfectly loves you. He perfectly loves me. When we were sinners, he loved us. Like, we love him, but he loved us first and left heaven to come here and pursue us. We tell people that he is the real deal, that he is the king, because he loves us first. So like all of these things come together. Jesus is the better king because he's the prophesied king who would bring eternal peace. Jesus is the better king because he's like deserving of all the worship. He's the better Jehu because he never causes anyone to sin. And Jesus is the king. He's the perfect, beautiful king because he weeps and he cares and he loves us. And like, I just want to conclude with us by reading just three verses in one of my favorite chapters of all scripture. Let's conclude by looking at Isaiah 53 really quickly. Isaiah 53 is to me like the clearest Old Testament passage that looks into the future that's like God grasping the future and pulling it in to like show us and reveal to us what to look for in this king that will come one day. To me, it's like the most beautiful chapter in the Old Testament about Jesus. Read the whole thing. It is like quite incredible. So beautiful. But the first three verses say this. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not." Jesus is the King of Kings. He's the real deal. He is our Lord, but because He was foretold and He brings peace, because He deserves our praise and leads no one to sin, because He cares so deeply, but Jesus doesn't look like the King we would pick, but He's the King who God know, knew we needed. 
Like none of us would have picked Jesus. He had no beauty. He had no majesty. There was nothing externally to point at who he was. There was nothing about him. He was from Nazareth from crying out. Nazareth was like the most made fun of city in Israel. Like, and that was part of what God was doing, making him Jesus of Nazareth. It's like really, that guy, he's just a mason. He's just a carpenter. A mason though. It's like, Why? There was nothing about him. He grew up poor. He like was born in a stable. He was born in filth. He was in poverty. He was in exile as a kid. Like, like there is nothing about Jesus' story that from just the story says this guy is the king. He's the king because of who he was and what he brought. And so on this Palm Sunday, we call him our king. We are unembarrassed to say Jesus is my king. He's my Lord. He gets to rule every part of my life and every part of my being I give to him. And we cry it out and we tell him and we say it to one another to encourage us in our pursuit of him. And we say it to the world, to anyone who doesn't know Christ. And we get the privilege of sharing like that Jesus wasn't the king that any of us would have built he, like if we had a Build-A-Bear, he would not be the one that we would put together, but he was the one that we needed, who brings real peace, who brings God himself. Jesus is the king, and we wait on his return. He is our coming king, and we wait for him. The whole church with bated breath waits until the day that he comes back. And so what do we do with this? Like how do we participate in Palm Sunday? And for us, this is, uh, like, like I say this a lot of weeks, it's much easier when we're going to be on, in person because we're going to hear a song and we're going to do this. But verse 37, to me, like, continues to stand out. They did this, the multitude of his disciples did this because they had seen what he has done. And so, like, today, for our Palm Sunday homework assignment, for our, like, how do we partnership, partner with what the gospel is doing right now? We tell one another of what we've seen him do. And so this week, like I've been praying and I will continue to pray that you have an opportunity to tell someone about who Jesus is and what you've seen him do. Share to a brother or share to a sister in Christ of what God has done for you. That's how we participate in Palm Sunday this year. Tell someone of what you've seen him do. That he's your king because he's shown you who he is. And so that's what we do on Palm Sunday. He's our king, and I need to proclaim that, and I need to exalt that. Jesus, like you are on high. You are above every name. You are above my life and my desires and my thoughts. Like, Lord, I'm your servant. And so, church, that's what we do. Text someone. Call someone. Email someone. Pray that somebody stumbles into you this week, a coworker, a friend, a neighbor, a random person. And if that opportunity comes, when that opportunity comes, tell them, Jesus is my king. And let me tell you why, because he's done X for me. Because when this happened, he responded like this. Because when I was down and out, like he did this. Because he saved me from X. And so Jesus is our king. We wait on his return. One day he'll be vindicated when he comes back and every knee will bow to him. But until that happens, we tell everyone who he is, our king, the real deal. Not like Jimmy G, who is just so handsome he might get opportunities. No, like there's nothing handsome about Jesus. 
that he's the most beautiful thing that has ever lived. And so we love you, church. Thanks for joining us. Uh, this week, we continue to have our MCs. We'll continue to be the church. Reach out to me at pereese at citylifenj.com if you have any questions, if you want to connect. Let's go get a cup of coffee. Let's go get dinner or lunch and um, walk faith together. Love you, and we'll see you soon.